So welcome back to Vitamin F Podcast. I am so excited. Today, we are sitting down with Alchemy 43 founder and CEO, Nikki Levy. Alchemy 43 is an aesthetics bar specializing in microtreatments and is very much a brilliant Botox meets dry bar idea. Nikki, you have taken an incredible industry and that was once viewed as something that was exclusive and you really made it accessible and approachable and fresh. And I can't wait to share your incredible story. But first, I want to start from the very beginning. Can you kind of tell us where your passion for beauty kind of began and where it originated from? Yeah, I think I've been a beauty junkie from the very beginning of life. I've always loved, I've always been that friend who's been the one to do my friend's makeup and you know, I've always loved beauty products as, as far back as I can remember. Uh, I remember watching my mom get ready for Saturday night date nights with my dad. And I remember the smell of her Chanel Number no. 5 perfume, like wafting down the hallway of our house. And and I think it's just always been sort of something I've always really loved. And I think, you know, I, I started working in cosmetics actually part-time. I, you know, I got a job at a makeup counter in college to make some extra mm-hmm. spending money and really kind of didn't think it could be a really you couldn't make a career out of this. I thought it yeah. was just something fun to do and, and, you know, something that I could do to sort of, you know, make some extra pocket money. And I think before long, I realized that this was just something that really lit me up inside. And I think really what it comes from for me is just this, this feeling that you can give people when they turn around and they look in the mirror and they like what they see and they feel empowered, they feel confident, they feel like equipped to take on the world. And there's just something so cool about that. I think there's so little in life that happens to us that we can control but looking and feeling our best is something that we have we do have power over and if i can play a small part in people's lives and making them smile when they look in the mirror because they're of happy course. with what they see i think that's what it's all about so that's kind of where it began for me that's truly the heart of it for me is just this wanting to make people feel you know empowered and excited to take on the day yeah and i think that you saying that you watched your mom and get ready for those date nights and her makeup and her beauty. I think I went through something similar. You know, I love fashion. Obviously, you're on Vitamin F podcast. But yeah, I grew up with her putting these vintage pieces together and just watching her create these outfits. And it like from a young age, I was like, wow, she's like incredible. When she walks out the door, she just like always looks and you can it's a feeling that you can tell that she feels incredible. And I'm sure that you saw that in your mom. So I exactly. think that's something that definitely um, inspired me as well was my mom. Too. I love that. Yeah. yeah. You spoke about your first job. Can we kind of dive into that and and how you really broke into the beauty industry? I think people that are in college and or even high school are thinking about how can I break into these creative industries? So I, I would love for you to kind of share that. Yeah. I mean, I think honestly, I do get asked this a lot. And I have friends that have kids that are sort of trying to figure out their paths in life and you know, in college, having to make those decisions about what you're going to major in and all of that kind of stuff. And what I'll tell you is that I think the big learning that I had was that you really can make a career out of anything that you love. Like there's not a limit I, for, for the longest time. I mean, I can't tell you how many years I sort of wasted saying, well, I really enjoy cosmetics and I really enjoy beauty, but it's not a real job. Like I yeah. felt like I needed to, I had this feeling that I needed to like sit behind a desk and be very serious. And like, you know, beauty was just too fun, you know, and, and that was not a serious enough job. And I think at the end of the day, like I realized that like I did a bunch of internships in other areas that I thought were the right things for me. And, yeah. you know, and, and I just wasn't happy. And I, I really realized like everything was drawing me back to what I loved. And so what I would say to people is like, if there's something that you really love doing, like do it. And I think to your point about breaking in, I mean, honestly, start from the very beginning. Like I think that working retail is one of the best, no matter what field you go into, no matter what 
no matter what industry you want to work in or what you want to do, I think that knowing how to deliver great customer service and knowing how to help people in this way is incredibly helpful and beneficial for your career. And it will kind of like, you'll learn a lot about yourself and you'll learn a lot about really, you know, you might also sort of like idealize something and say, oh, I really want to be in this type of role. And once you sort of get a taste of it, you realize, oh, actually, that's not for me. So I think it's all part of the process. But I would really suggest no one's above where, you know, starting at the beginning, I always tell the story of the Nordstrom brothers, which you probably know, you know, it's a, it's a multi-generational family company. Yeah. And all of the guys that are running the company now, all of the Nordstrom children literally had to start working in the stock room in the shoe department. They were not given <laughs> a golden handbook. They had to work their way up and work in the back room and, and understand what it was like to stock shoes, you know? So I really think that that is how you truly learn a business inside and out. And so I would say to people, just start doing it. You know, if you have to work in the mail room, if you have to get coffee for the boss, like just do whatever it takes to sort of get that exposure. Yeah, of course. So I graduated during COVID. So Uh getting internships and getting jobs, it was really hard because everybody was going remote. So I got a job in retail in the wedding industry. And let me tell you, retail is not for the weak. It is super, it is hard. But just like you said, it really does teach you so much, first of all, about yourself, how to deal with clients, just the overall business, everything behind the scenes. I think it's really important. I do think working retail taught me so much. It's true. It's like just, it's such a great way to start out in life. I truly believe that. So of course. So after you left Benefit, what other jobs did you try? Yeah. So after that, when I graduated college, I graduated from UC Davis here in California. And, you know, I, again, I thought, I thought I was, I was interested in doing something maybe in the entertainment industry, maybe like entertainment publicity. Maybe I wanted to be an agent. I thought about law school at one point. Um, and so did you, Yeah, yeah, I feel like I went through this whole evolution. And so I sort of, in an effort to kind of dial into that, like, what does that all mean? Basically, I started doing some internships. I did an internship at a entertainment publication called The Hollywood Reporter. I did an internship at a big talent publicity firm that like represented celebrities. So I did a bunch of those things. And then all the while, I supported myself still continuing to work in cosmetics at Nordstrom. Um, wow. And I worked for Mac Cosmetics. And so that was kind of my early 20s where I had sort of this, you know, this job working, you know, in cosmetics. And then I would do these internships and sort of figure out, you know, either by loving or hating what I was doing, kind of figure out, yes, I want to go down this path or no, I didn't. And then basically what ended up happening for me was that I actually got offered an opportunity within cosmetics that truly was like a full-time role that was going to sort of be my career path. And it was Nordstrom was launching. I'm sure you're familiar being in apparel. They have a, a personal shopping program yeah, there for yeah, apparel that's really, Huge. really well, well known. And they wanted to create something like that for cosmetics and skincare. And so they actually hired me at, at their, one of their most high volume doors at South Coast Plaza and said, Hey, we want you to be the store personal shopper for cosmetics and skincare. And so basically it was really cool. I mean, I was in my twenties and it was just like, they wanted to try this out and they identified me as like the right person to sort of pilot this for them. And so they kind of said like, we're not going to be able to help you too much with marketing. Like we can't do too much because Nordstrom is such a customer service uh, driven company. So because it was only, the service was only available at one store, they couldn't do like any kind of global marketing push. So they were kind of like, you're limited to what you can do within the store for marketing. So I did all kinds of creative things. I like, I put little signs in the restrooms, like these cute little like Nordstrom signs, like because I had a a private studio and I'd been trained by, they sent all the makeup brands sent their top trainers to to train me. And so I had this great wealth of information and knowledge. And so 
but I had to get the word out. And so I did lunch and learns at local law firms and real estate offices. I did, you know, I did everything I could to sort of create a clientele. And it was a really great experience. It kind of gave me the taste of like starting a business without really starting it myself, but really kind of like just showed me what it would take to actually start something of my own. And it was incredibly pivotal. So that was kind of what finally kind of brought me over to that side of the world as, as my career path. And I'm very grateful for it because I think all of the things that followed led me to where I am today, which is the founder yeah. of Alchemy 43. Yeah, definitely. And I, I remember being in college and, you know, all my friends were majoring in finance and business and yep. I was over here majoring in fashion, which is like, it's a scary thing to go after something in the creative industry because everybody else is like, she's never going to get a job. You know what I mean? Right. It's, it's a scary yeah, thing, exactly. but it's your passion. And I think a lot of people can relate to that, that are, you know, interested in the arts and beauty yeah. and fashion and just all of those creative industries. When did it kind of click for you that you could actually make a career in this? I think it was when, cause I always had all these ideas and I always had, you know, a business sense about me. I mean, I, even when I was in college, like my sister, my sister was a little bit younger than me. And like, I, you know, I started a little business doing makeup for her and her friends for all their dances. You know, I charged, I don't even know what it was, like $25 or something, you know? And so I'd always been sort of entrepreneurial, I would say. I think it was when people in that industry started to recognize that in me, like it was not always coming from me. It was like, people were like giving me these opportunities, like the Nordstrom one. And And I think that for me, that was very validating because I was like, I felt that in myself. But to your point, I didn't know what that would look like. Like I was a communications major. I knew I loved beauty. I didn't know what path that was going to take me down. And when people started to sort of help me create that path and light the way for my path was really when I sort of said, okay, this is for me. And by the way, I think that was fortunate. I don't think that happens for everybody. And I think if you're somebody who maybe hasn't been given those opportunities, but you still want, you're still passionate about whatever it is that you want to do. I would just say, be relentless. Don't stop. Like find somebody who's doing what you want to do and is sort of in that role that you're aspiring to. I think that's so key. Then you can kind of work your way toward that. Finding somebody who's already doing it makes you know that it's possible, Yeah. right? Yeah. And so I think it's just confirming and validating that it's possible and then going out and just pursuing it. And if it means, you know, cold emails to that person who's doing it or their assistant and saying, hey, how can I get involved here? How can I learn? Just don't be afraid to be bold and like ask the questions because those are the people that get the opportunities. I think that's such an important point. And also, I think that even if you're looking at someone and what they're doing and you're wanting to do it, I think sometimes people get dejected that it's already being done. But, you know, the industry doesn't have you and your drive. And I think that's something important that even if somebody else is doing it, that does not mean that you can't do it and be just as successful. Yeah. I mean, I, I would say that I, in some ways, have made a career out of doing things that are already being done in a new way. Yeah, so I, I absolutely think nothing I've done to date has been the first of anything, right? Yeah. It's like I've just taken something that already existed and reimagined it. And so to your point, yes, I would absolutely agree with you. Don't be turned off if you feel like it's already being done. You can do it better. You can do it different. Like exactly. that just shows you it can be done, right? Exactly. So after your time at Nordstrom ended, you had a job lined up at Mecca Cosmetica, right? Yes. And so why did you end up not taking that job? What kind of was transpiring during that time? Yeah. So basically, I was in my mid-20s. I really wanted to have an experience in my life of living in a different country and living abroad. And so I very much pursued the opportunity with Mecca. It was it was located in Australia. And I was I was sort of still wow, within the age range. It's in Australia. Yeah. I was still in the age range that you could get a student work visa for, I think it was something like six months. And or maybe longer, but it was some kind of small amount of time. 
And so I thought, well, while I'm still young enough to do it, and while I still don't have any, you know, sort of big obligations family wise, I can do it. And so, so I, I mean, I lined up a job, I had bought a plane ticket, I was oh going, gosh, you were going. And, and I got a phone call out of the blue from somebody who had gotten my name from somebody at Nordstrom, it was just like, through a few different contacts. And she said, Listen, I have an amazing opportunity that I'd like to talk to you about ASAP. And I didn't tell the woman who called me that I, I was planning to leave in two weeks to Australia, because she sounded really, you know, interesting and it set the opportunity sounded exciting. So I thought, let me take this meeting. Yeah. Ironically enough, she wanted to meet me at the international terminal at LAX airport. I have no idea oh. why. Like I don't know if she was coming for a flight or what was happening, but very ironic that I that went to go meet like her. That sounds like a terrible meeting spot also though. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> very like, loud. Why? why? Very loud. I know. Very interesting. And basically she said, you know, we have this opportunity to launch Calvin Klein's cosmetic line. There's a company here in California that's licensed the name. The owner of the company has has made all of his money in mass market cosmetics. So like the 99 cent eyeshadow palettes yeah. you might see at CVS, that was really his business, but he wanted to break into prestige cosmetics. Yeah. And so he got the license for Calvin Klein and he basically wanted to hire kind of three executives from the cosmetic business that had a proven track record to basically create this line from scratch. Wow. And it just sounded like such an exciting opportunity. I, I mean, I, I very much understood that I would be involved in every aspect of this cosmetic color launch from meeting with Calvin Klein's the company and getting a bunch of approvals from them to creating the formulas to, you know, meeting with retailers and everything that was involved. And it just got, it was so exciting. And I felt kind of like it was like a once in a lifetime opportunity. Yeah. And so I decided to turn my ticket into a vacation and I went for two weeks to Australia and oh my had a gosh. great vacation and came home and started work. So what an incredible story. So while you were there, yeah. I mean, what kind of was your, your day-to-day role or maybe your favorite parts of that role? Gosh, it was just so exciting every day because I felt like I got to, at a relatively young age, you know, almost like, I almost felt like, oh my gosh, I'm so lucky. How did I, like, I, yeah. you know, how did I land here? I got to like meet with the R&D lab and test formulas for eyeshadows. I loved Insane. naming the products, like how fun to name the eyeshadows and uh, the lipsticks. How fun. It was super fun. And then I got to write the training and education program for the brand. So I had to really kind of take it back to when I worked at the makeup counter and create a yeah. training manual for people that we're going to be working at our counters. And so it was just really cool to like piece together all of the different elements of launching a makeup line and get to execute those myself. I mean, wow, what an opportunity. So that was really an incredible experience that kind of solidified my like knowledge that eventually I'm going to do something of my own. Like this is in my blood. I got to do something on my own. You talked about naming the products and literally my brain immediately goes to Too Faced Better Than Sex Mascara and Orgasm Blush. Like who is making that up? Like, how do you come up with those names? Can you share that or like names in general? Like, is there, yeah. is there a rhyme to the rhythm? I think that everybody has a different process. And I can only imagine with some of the ones that you mentioned that it was probably a pretty <laughs> hilarious process that, you know, whether it was one guy or, you know, a group of people sitting in a, in a conference room going, yeah. oh my gosh, what about this? What about that? But I, yeah, I mean, I think that it has like a lightheartedness to it. I think, you know, it's like you have sort of those iconic names and then you have names that are like, just sort of stay in your, I mean, I remember when I was a kid and this was way before your time, there was a a Revlon lipstick called a toast of New York that like everybody wore. Like if you were anybody, you wore a toast of New York. And, you know, and again, same thing. It's like, who came up with the toast of New York? Yeah. It was kind of a toasty color. Like it was kind of like a little bit of like a burnty, like coppery kind of color. So maybe, but yeah, it's just a fun thing. And yeah. So for me, it's like, you know, you kind of, I think, come up with a theme of like what you want the collection to like reflect. And so for example, the orgasm collection probably is like a sex theme, right? Yeah. And then you have different, you know, other themes. 
I remember Urban Decay also had some creative and cool names for their eyeshadows, like, and they were all very kind of like edgy and like punk rock. It was like, yeah. you know, graffiti and like Metallica and like, exactly. you know, names like that. So yeah, so I think there's usually generally a theme and then you can kind of get, you know, go wild with that. I think people are so interested in the names also just because nail polishes too, you know, everybody's yep. like, what's the name? What's the name? So just what's the name? Saying, what color? you uh-huh. saying that you were one of those behind the names. I think that is so cool. That needs to be one of your fun facts, like your one truth and two lies or whatever that game is. Yes. So but fun. Um, how did you make that jump from the cosmetics industry to the medical aesthetics industry? Yeah, great question. So basically, I mean, it was kind of an, an unprecedented thing, but Basically, Allergan, the company that makes Botox, was was launching a product called Latisse, which is a serum that grows your eyelashes. Yeah. And you know, they felt like because it was a product that was going to be like sort, you know, only sold in doctors' offices because it is a prescription product. But because it's like a, a retail product versus like a Botox that gets injected, they felt like there was a merchandising component to it. And so they yeah. specifically looked for people from the cosmetic industry to launch this product for them. And they ended up recruiting myself and a couple of other people that I knew from the industry over to medical aesthetics. And that was pretty uncommon. Like, I mean, most people that did those sort of Botox sales jobs historically had been people that had like pharmaceutical sales backgrounds. Mm -hmm. So it was pretty unusual to recruit specifically from cosmetics, but I do understand why they did it. And so that was kind of what happened to me. I was approached about this opportunity to, you know, to sell Botox and, and Juvederm and Latisse. And I, I was interested in the products. I didn't know too, too much about them. I definitely understood that they were cosmetic, right? Totally yeah. elective cosmetic. They were non-invasive. So they're not things that require anesthesia or downtime or anything like that. And so I kind of viewed it as like an extension of the beauty industry. Like this yeah. is yet another thing that women and men do to take care of themselves, to look and feel their best. Yes, there's another layer to it on the medical side, but really the intent behind it is the same. I want to look and feel my best. So that's kind of what I went into it thinking is that I was going to kind of just further expand my repertoire as like a cosmetic industry expert, a beauty industry person. And this would be kind of the next step in my journey. And really what was so eye-opening about that is it's kind of like, as soon as I started doing the job and actually getting into it, I realized that like, I was kind of the only one who made that connection, that it was like an extension of beauty. I felt like everybody else thought of it more like a medical service. And it just so happened that you looked better afterwards, but it wasn't, there was nothing else about it that was kind of like tied to that. And I just thought it was so interesting that it was treated like getting your teeth scraped or getting a mole removed when really like, this is not something you have to do. This is not a life-threatening condition that you're solving for. This is something you're choosing to do of your own volition. You know, you're paying your own money out of pocket. This is not something that insurance covers. And yet it's treated like, like that. And so I just thought there's sort of a, I just saw this immediate disconnect for me between like the consumption of these products and services and and the intent behind it. And I just saw such an opportunity to really up-level that and to completely kind of rethink it. Like it just didn't, to me, it didn't sync up the right way. Like when you go out and you get, you know, you buy yourself a new foundation, right? It's right. like the whole experience is like you go and obviously people have all different, you know, experiences with that today with social media and all of that. But like essentially you go, you get color matched, like somebody walks you through the different options that you have available to you. There's a whole kind of experiential component and you learn about the ingredients and the finish and the outcome. And then you try it on and you select a color and you, you know, chances are you probably build a, build some kind of a connection to the person who's selling it to you and the brand. And then you come back and you rebuy it, you know, six months later or whatever it is. And so I just thought like, why is getting injectables so different than that? Like, why is this something that people almost have to like fight to get they have to like remember to call and make an appointment. They have to like, you know, wait 
two months to get into their doctor's office. They have to take off half a day of work to go park in a medical office building. And I just thought like, this could be done so much differently. And so that was kind of my like aha moment. And I I think I wouldn't have had that understanding or that sentiment had I not worked in, in cosmetics for, you know, as long as I had before this. Yeah, I think the merging of those two probably really helped you kind of notice that opportunity and that gap in the market. I think it's really interesting that you noted how different it really was whenever people were going to the doctor to get Botox. Just touch on that a little bit more, just because I think my generation, you know, it's like all beauty and like happy things, but it really wasn't like that for a long time. And, And I think that that's something interesting that, you know, people maybe aren't aware of. So, I mean, so Botox was FDA approved for cosmetic use in around the year 2000. It was either 2000 or 2001. So really it's been around for, you know, from an FDA approved perspective um, for cosmetic use for about 23 years, but it had been used what we call off label long before that. So, you know, and actually we have, you know, and and also you may not, you may know this, you may not, Botox is actually also, there's a non-cosmetic element to Botox. There's actually a therapeutic utilization. So for example, Botox is injected into children with cerebral palsy. Wow, I did um, not know that. Any kind of spastic muscle. So anytime you have spastic muscle, muscle that's kind of like seized up, Botox relaxes the muscle. And so if you have people that have, you know, there's a there's a condition called a, a number of different conditions that it treats, but there is a condition with your eyes called strabismus, which is like basically a form of a lazy eye yeah. where the muscle is underdeve- underdeveloped or overperforming on one side. And so when you inject Botox into that muscle, you actually the eye can go straight. So there's all kinds of therapeutic uses. And there's actually, Botox has been injected in humans for therapeutic uses since 1978. And it was only by default that people figured out that Botox, you could actually have no more wrinkles when you get that done. So, and that's typically how these kind of things are always discovered. And so to answer the question about like before, so it was kind of being initially kind of discovered and being utilized by these doctors that were using it therapeutically. They started to see these kind of cosmetic benefits. And then there was a, a handful of doctors that kind of like ran with that and said, Hey, I think we might be onto something here, you know? And so Allergan got involved and essentially started, you know, marketing it and, and testing it for cosmetic use. And so in the early days, it really was something that, you know, you went to your doctor for, and it was very much like a, while you're at your dermatologist getting your skin checked, Hey, yeah. my forehead wrinkles are bothering me. Let's throw a couple Botox units yeah. in there. It was very much treated just like an add-on little like service, some little something that you could do. And it soon became bigger than that because people love the results. I mean, Botox has a 98% patient satisfaction rate. So it's like people were kind of the way that you were consuming Botox hadn't changed, but people were were coming only for that. Like people were waiting yeah. three months, wait, you know, couldn't wait to come because it has such a high response rate. People love it. And so I think that, you know, in the early days, it really was treated as a medical service. And I think as soon, and, and it is a medical service. I don't want to downplay the fact that this is a very clinical yeah, medical definitely. treatment. However, you know, you, it doesn't have to be consumed in this dry sort of stale way. It's something that could be done in a completely novel way. So you're right. I think people from your generation are definitely more like, oh, hasn't it always been like this? Like, hasn't yeah. it always been in this cute med spa or in this cute place I could go? And no, the answer is no. I mean, it really only in the last probably five to seven years has it yeah. been, that's been like the, the more common thing. Prior to that, it was like, go to your plastic surgeon, go to your dermatologist, you know, make an appointment for something else while you're there, you know, you grab some yeah. Botox. So it really has evolved and changed. So you talked about your aha moment, but when did you feel like that turning point came where you felt like it was time to venture out on your own? Great question. And I don't know. Yeah, I think it was just sort of an evolving thing. Although when I look back on it, 
so I, you know, I worked for Allergan from 2009 to 2012. So it was about three years that I was there. And, and this idea for me started forming almost immediately. In 2010, Drybar launched. You mentioned the word Drybar earlier uh, and the brand Drybar. And I thought from the very beginning, it was very interesting how they took something that was part of a larger hairstyling experience. You know, you get your hair cut and colored, they blow dry it at the end, you leave looking fabulous. And they extrapolated out just that one element, just the blow dry, and they created a category. And so I thought from the very beginning, like there's such an artistry to doing these treatments well. The best injectors are the ones that truly make an art out of it. There's really like a mastery of skill. And so I thought, why can't we do that? Why can't we carve out injectables as kind of their own category and create a category around it? So so that was kind of where the idea formed. I left Allergan in 2012. I definitely had the idea for this. I was very interested in pursuing it, but I also knew what I didn't know. I realized that I'd only had three years in the medical field, that I'd be launching something that was inherently medical in nature, and that there was, you know, I'd only worked for a huge, massive company, Allergan, with tons of resources. So I really didn't know what it would be like to be a small guy in the industry and be like, you know, just starting out. So I very intentionally was like, I need to figure that out first. And so I went to uh, work for two startups, two guys that were starting, you know, one guy was launching like a cosmetic skincare pill, like a supplement Mm -hmm. that he only wanted to market in doctor's offices. And then another guy I worked for was launching a business that was basically renting out the latest and greatest cosmetic laser machines because they're so expensive to buy them. So he thought, why not give access to smaller sort of medical offices that just want to access the latest technology, but can't necessarily afford or don't want to pay the price to own the machine. Yeah. So I felt like that was really the sort of education and information I needed to kind of like know how I was going to navigate this. Yeah. Yeah. And in the meantime, I also retained a healthcare attorney. And basically I wanted to understand, you know, I have this business idea. Could it work in throughout the country? Like, is there any state that is like not off limits? Like I can't do this. So I wanted to make sure that it was a scalable business. And so I spent my own money in about a year kind of setting up the company to make sure that we were not going to run into any you know, obstacles. And then I set out to raise money and write a business plan, which I had literally zero idea how to do. I was completely, you know, I didn't, didn't have a business degree. I'd never raised capital before. I knew that I was going to need to raise money to do this because it's, you know, it costs money to open locations. And so I really just like pieced it together. I mean, I was dating a guy who was like, oh, you can write a business plan on mybusinessplanbuilder.com. I mean, oh my like this I random exactly website. What you're talking about. Yeah. And I literally just like went in there and like filled out the information and it generated these cool looking charts that looked really, you know, professional <laughs> to me at the time. And I, you know, and I went from there. And so, you know, I was lucky that I had a clear vision of what I wanted to do. And I wasn't afraid to kind of reach out to strangers to basically, you know, listen to my idea. And I, I was lucky enough to find an investor, Tony Coe, the founder of Nix Cosmetics, oh, wow, who was yeah. an amazing, accomplished entrepreneur and founder herself and had had a really successful exit to L'Oreal. And she was interested in my idea. I think she believed in my vision from the beginning and saw my passion and decided to, to get involved. And so she was really my first investor. She helped me kind of raise enough money to get the first location open, which I opened in 2016 you know, had a crazy year that followed after that. I mean, we ran out of money very quickly. I had to figure out how I was going to keep the ship afloat, you know, long enough to sort of prove out the uh, the hypotheses of the business. I was lucky enough to be able to do that. I mean, that first year was just a slog, but we did it. And then finally, you know, we're able to attract a sophisticated kind of early venture capital investor called Forerunner Ventures. And they kind of got behind this and decided this is the next big thing and, you know, in aesthetics. And so, from there, it's just been sort of a, a ride. You know, we had to navigate through obviously murky waters with COVID and all of that. But 
I think came through with flying colors. And probably if anything, just the pandemic kind of showed us like in times of uncertainty, like people are going to cling on to the things they know. And, you know, you're not going to let all your nails chip off and you're not going to let your hair go gray and you're going to keep your face smooth. (laughs) Exactly. And I think that you, you spoke about meeting with investors and I mean, my mind immediately goes to Shark Tank. I think that's what everybody yes. kind of thinks right yes. off the bat. I think, Mr. Wonderful, what is Mark Cuban thinking about this? But can you kind of explain what it's like to meet with investors and kind of go through that? I think that's a really scary process. I would be freaking out myself so yeah. to hear how you felt about it. Yeah, it was super interesting. And you're right. And honestly, I think Shark Tank is such an amazing show in that it I really it. does. I mean, it really does give a really, I mean, that is what it's like. Yeah. It is absolutely what it's like. That's, I mean, of course, there's some, you know, sort of yeah. dramatic elements or whatever. But honestly, like you are sitting across from people pitching your idea. They're they're asking you questions. They're poking holes in it. They are, they like it or they don't like it. You know, they say yes, they say no. You know, mostly they say no, right? Most of the time they say no. And so, yeah, I mean, for me, it was fascinating because, especially because for whatever reason, and maybe it was just the times we were in, but a lot of the investors I was talking to, especially in the early days, were like tech investors. Yeah. And they were men. And they were in the Silicon Valley. I was in Beverly Hills. And they were literally like, I'm talking to this like Beverly Hills lady about Botox. Like, it was literally like talking a different language. Like, yeah. I, I remember talking to this one guy who was like, from a prolific, like seed investor fund, like some great brands. I mean, he was a super highly respected investor, right? And I remember being super nervous for the meeting for that reason. And I started to pitch this guy my idea. And he was literally just looking at me like he did yeah. not get it. He did not get it. There was nothing I could have said that would have made him get like, I don't even know why he got on the call, frankly, because it was just that far away. And then I would have some investors that like literally got it. The first words came out of my mouth and they were like, yep, we get it. This is huge, blah, blah, blah. Like, so it's just funny how, how you get so many different reactions and it is hard not to take it personally because you will literally get 99% will say no and 1% will say yes. And so you've got to talk to a lot of people. You have to defend your ideas, which is, I think, actually a super great exercise to be able to have people say, well, what about this? Well, what about that? And you have to sort of have responses. You know, the good news about that is it forces you to very early on, like be very thoughtful about your business. Because I think by the time I got through that first sort of like group of investors, it was like, there was nothing that you could ask me about this business that I haven't thought of. You know, it doesn't mean I've thought of, I know everything. It just means like, yes, I thought of that too. I thought, you know, it's like, it causes you to sort of think about it from a different perspective. So I think you just have to go into it knowing that you're going to get a lot of no's and that you have to go through the process. It's a part of it. And you will find your yes. You will find your yes. And it's going to feel great when you find your yes. I do feel like my generation is really focused on like that immediate satisfaction or like gratification. And if it's not immediately successful, we kind of file those things under like failure. But I think it's really important to kind of remember that even if you do fail, you are brave enough to take that risk and believe in yourself and meet with people and reach out even if you do get no's. So I do think that's interesting. But I was curious in the beginning stages of Alchemy 43, was it immediately successful or did you have that failure at first or, or even the fear of failure? What was that like? Yeah, it's a great question. And I agree with you. And I think, yeah, if you're going to do something like this, and I think this is true of a lot of things, right? The, probably the big things in life, right? It's like the biggest things don't come easy. And yeah. I think the truth of it is, is like, you have to be okay with failure. You have to know that it's not going to be a completely rosy ride. So it's like, you know, if you were to say to me, like, cause I just get, I chuckle when you said that, cause I'm like, I don't think we're successful. We're successful, but it's like, I don't think we've made it yet. You know yeah. what I mean? Like I, yeah. I still, 
and I've made tons of mistakes along the way. And I don't think you could ever go through something like this and not make a million mistakes. The most important thing is to learn from those mistakes and to pick yourself up and keep going. I mean, if you, it's like, I mean, I would say if I, so I, I hate the word no, which I think is probably true of most founder entrepreneurs. Like I literally, when you say no to me, I actually love it because what I'll do is I'll immediately figure out another way. Like I'll be yeah. thinking, Oh, okay. So you're saying I can't do this way. I'm going to figure out nine other ways. Like I think the word no just shuts it down. And it's such a trigger for me. Cause I'm like, if I had reacted to the word no, like early on in my career, I, we wouldn't be here. Like yeah. so many people said no to me that I should have, if that was what was driving it, I would have just thrown in the, you know, thrown in the, the thing, thrown in the towel and been like, thank <laughs> you so much. But instead I was like, okay, no from him. Let me go to this person. Or it was, okay, th- that way I'm, ta- I'm thinking is not possible. Let me figure out another way. Like I have this find a way like mentality that's like, no, 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 no does not fly with me. There's no such yeah. thing as no, I'm going to figure out a different way. And if that path doesn't work, I'll figure out another path. So yeah, I think people know can t- be a shutdown or it can be a motivator. And for me, it's a motivator because I get very inspired to figure out a way. So I think that that's the answer. And I think ultimately, yeah, you, you know, you just, you make mistakes. You have to be okay with making mistakes, figuring it out, getting yourself like standing up, dusting yourself off. And I think like one of the things I've learned is that we all want to be more successful than we are today. Like I wish yeah. this business already had 30 locations open and we had, you know, we had, we were doing $50 million in revenue. Like yeah. I would love for all of those things to be the case today. But in fact, I'm thankful that we're just still here and we're yeah. still growing and we're still expanding. And like, so there's sort of like that humbling moment where you're like, listen, the fact that we made it through COVID, the fact that we've like persevered, that we've got these incredible investors around the table, we're opening new locations, like we're opening in new markets, like that of itself is incredible. And like, we got to take time and like celebrate that because you get so busy and your head's down and you're always, you know, charging forward that yeah. you kind of, you know, it's, it's almost it's difficult to stop and kind of look around and go, wow, look what we've just accomplished. Like, this is pretty amazing. So I think it's just a matter of having perspective, honestly, perspective, like, you're going to try things, you're going to fail. And you know, you pick yourself up and you keep going, you can't let one thing derail you, you got to just keep going. I think that that's the attitude you have to have going into something like this. Otherwise, every little sort of uh, obstacle will feel like the end. Yeah. I love that you said no is actually a motivation for you. I think that is awesome. And I think everybody can change their outlook towards that and and kind of work towards feeling that it's a motivation and it's not necessarily a negative thing. Pick up things, keep going, keep moving. And there's something else out there. And also not everybody's going to love it. Like not everybody's going to love your idea. Like you can be the best pitcher in the world. You can have the best idea in the world. And by the way, no one's going to love it as much as you love it. So that's the other part you kind of have to be okay with. It's like, oh my gosh, this is my idea. Isn't it wonderful? I'm going to make this happen. This is so great. And you're going to have people that go, that's a terrible idea. Or I can't see that working. Or like that's, and you have to kind of have your own way of of not letting that derail you. Like listen to the information, but like consider the source, right? There's a reason that you're starting this business and not that person, right? Yeah. And have enough faith in yourself to like say, thank you so much for your input and see on the other side. And moving on. Yes. And, yes. And so you just touched on that, but like you have advice probably coming from all different sides. And yeah. I think especially when you say that you have an idea or you're building a company or whatever it is, advice is coming from everywhere. How do you kind of navigate that and tune some things out and take some things in? Yeah. Advice is a really interesting thing. And I think when you're just starting out, you're hungry for it, right? And you, like for me, I personally was like very aware of the things that I knew a lot about and then also the things that I knew nothing about. 
Yeah. And so people that I perceived that knew more about the things that I was less knowledgeable about, I, I put a lot of stock into those people. And yeah. like what you kind of realize is like, first of all, you get a lot of unsolicited advice. So you get a lot of advice from, from people or sources that you didn't ask for. And then you also get advice that you ask for, right? Then there's advice that you pursue and, per- and persist with. So I think ultimately it's like really thinking about the source. I would say get lots of input and decide at the end of the day, the final call is yours to make. And I think I learned some lessons early on about sort of like, like outside input and sometimes advice that's sort of unsolicited that comes from people who either don't know or don't get it or don't have the right perspective on it or what have you it becomes kind of like noise in your head and you have to sort of tune it out and you have to say, okay, that's what that person thinks noted, right? Like it's important to note it and say, is there anything that I can take away from that? That is helpful to me. And it could, the simplest thing could be that, Hey, the thing I'm taking away is not everybody's going to like my idea or gosh, you know, she is right about this, this, and this a price, you know, the way I'm going to price it. Maybe I need to price it differently because blah, 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 blah. So you can see if there's anything, you know, but, but I think it's just like, relying on your gut, relying on yourself. You want to listen when the world is telling you something, but just remember like the advice of one person is not going to make or break you. And it's it's your decision whether or not you want to take that advice. When somebody gives you input or advice, you're not obligated to take it. You can do whatever you want with that advice. So I think that's the thing. Yeah. That we all get stuck on sometimes. So you come up with Alchemy 43, which to me is such a unique name. Can you kind of tell us what that means to you and how you came up with it? Yeah. So a name was important, right? Obviously, a name is very important for a company and a business. And I very early on wanted to kind of create a brand and a name that was sort of going to, you know, going to make people think and going to yeah. and going to sort of have people go, huh, what, you know, what is that? And so I had actually another name identified that I was going to name the company. And when I filed for and I'd already signed the lease on my first location. And when I filed for a trademark, oh, trademark no. you know, for the name, Right, like three months before we opened, I got notified. No, you can't use that trademark. There's some dermatology concept oh, in San Francisco that's gosh. using it. You got to think of something new. And we were already building the website. We were already making signs for the stores. We'd already bought all the URLs. And I was like, shoot, what are wow. we going to name this business? So I was kind of like under the gun to come up with a new name. Not to mention, I was already very attached to that name. Like that's yeah, the name I've been wanting to it's call your it. Baby. That was it. And so all of a sudden now I can't call it that. Okay, yeah. I have to figure out what this is. And so I was, I have, I mean, I remember I still have that list somewhere, just hundreds and hundreds of names on a page. I had friends helping me, family helping me. I had a branding agency that was helping and just like nothing was sitting, like I just couldn't get there with any of the names. I was like, maybe, maybe, you know, it's like, there were just so many kind of hums and haws happening. And I came home from dinner with friends one night and I logged into Facebook and someone on Facebook had quoted the book, The Alchemist. And I, I, for some reason that word alchemist kind of popped off the page at me and I was like, huh, what is that? alchemy, alchemy. And I typed into my, my Google browser, what is the definition of alchemy? And it was a seemingly magical process of combination, creation, and transformation. And I like got tingles, like goosebumps all over my body. That gives me tingles. Yes. I was like, oh my gosh, that is it. And then I, I was, was really excited to tell one of my early investors who was my board member. I was like, oh my gosh, this is the name. I'm feeling really excited about it. This is the name. And she was like, you know, are there any numbers that are meaningful to you? Because I guess there was a big trend with like Refinery29 and a bunch of other brands that had like a number attached. And I was like, not really. I'm like, you know, 17 is my lucky number. Like, I don't know. Is that, is that the one? And then she typed into her phone, how many muscles are in the face? And the number was 43. 43. And we looked at each other. We're like, that's it. Alchemy 43. 
I think so, it's such it a like, magical name also yeah, like that you just stumbled so. upon like yeah. on a Facebook post and then a Google search. Like that's how it, it was like almost be. like the universe was like, and it was just exactly at the time that I needed it because yeah. I was like really stuck. And I think I had to come up with a name. Like, you know, I was like on a deadline for coming up yeah. with the name and it just worked out. So yeah. So it's like, kind of like, you know, I, I stayed open and I sort of read the, read the writing on the wall. And for some reason that name just came to me and, and then my investor Nate gave us the number. So that is so incredible. I, I love the name. I, whenever I first read it, I, I, like I said, I, it gives off a magical, I don't know, feeling. So I, it's I, I think, magical. What, yeah. What, what was the original name that you were? Uh, the original about? name was Spruce, S-P-R-O-O-S-E, like get spruced up. Yeah. Yeah. And that was the idea being like, oh, like I'm going to go get spruced up. And, and so, yeah. So even though it was spelled differently than like spruce tree, yeah. it's still, I guess, trademark doesn't care. They, you know, it doesn't matter about spelling. It just matters about like con- consumer confusion, they call yeah. it. So yeah, that's why I couldn't use it. And I think in the end, I did better. Like I'm, ha- I think Alchemy Forty Three is better. I think in the better. end, it all, yeah, it all happened yeah. for a reason. I think Alchemy yeah. Forty Three is an incredible name. So thank you. You, you got a good one there. I thank love Alchemy Forty Three's motto, which is the best work goes unnoticed. Yes. Can you expand on what this means to you and kind of how your company lives by this motto? Yeah, for sure. This has really deep roots for me because I think one of the things that I observed when I was working as a Botox rep and working, you know, all kinds of practices that were offering these services was that a big thing I observed is that a lot of people were kind of getting torn down to be built back up. And I, you know, people would go in and a lot of the conversation would be like, Hey, what's wrong with me? What needs to be fixed? What do I need? Right. And then the doctor, right. The doc or the doctor or the provider would say, well, here's all the things, you know, you're droopy here. You're this, you're that, you're and often it was like not even what, why they were there. Yeah. And they almost left feeling worse about themselves than when they came in. And I just thought to myself, that's not how this should be, right? <laughs> I mean, can you imagine going to get your makeup done and someone being like, oh, you've got terrible skin. My goodness, your eyes look horrible. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, no, 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 that's not, that's not how it should be. So, so really like my entire, you know, a big motivator for starting this business. I mean, honestly, like from the human side of it, it was like, I want people to walk in feeling good and leave feeling good. There's no part of me that wants to tear people down to build them back up. And I also recognize no one needs these treatments. This is not going to change your life. It's not going to save your marriage. It's not going to, you know what I mean? It's not going to get you that job. Like you're going to do those things for yourself. And what this is going to do is it's going to give you confidence. And so how do we really expand upon that confidence opportunity and say, hey, there's nothing wrong with you. You don't need these treatments. This is not life-saving stuff here. What we want to do is we want to identify what's already beautiful about you and look at how we can augment or enhance that. Like that's all this is. Like we're not in the business of transforming people or improving people or fixing people because frankly, they don't need to be fixed. Everybody is perfect and beautiful in their own way. And I truly believe that. And so really this is just about decorating what's already there and taking something that already looks good. And so, so our approach is really very rooted in like confidence building and kind of meeting you where you are. And so the best work goes unnoticed just speaks to, Hey, when you have a smooth forehead and augmented cheekbones and you know your lips are turned in the right turned up and you look great we don't want that to be the compliment we don't want people to say oh my gosh Catherine who did your botox your forehead is yeah. so smooth we want people to say oh my gosh Catherine you look so rested you look so yeah. beautiful you look so relaxed and refreshed are you in love like what's going on <laughs> with you you know we we want that to be the compliment and so the unnoticed part is really like that's not what's driving it like we we just want to make take what you already have and make it beautiful and expand on it we don't want to you don't need fixing you already yeah. look great i think you saying i specifically went through something like that with my roommate we went to go get 
Botox for the first time or just even ask about it at, at this just, place. Yeah, ask questions. Yeah, uh-huh. ask questions about it. And we walked in and I mean, this lady just roasted us from like head to toe. Wow. She told my, she told my poor roommate like something about her nose. And then she told me that like, I don't know all that I needed like thousands and thousands and thousands just, of dollars worth yeah, of stuff. Like a full done. overhaul. Yeah, like a full <laughs> overhaul. And we walked out. I mean, we were laughing, but I could see she was not laughing as hard as I was. She I, was I laughed and uncomfortable. Yeah. She was a little affected. I was like, do not listen to her. So I think that the motto that you guys use is something super important that everybody is beautiful. And these things are to make you feel good, not to make you, you know, it's not going to transform you and make you something different. I mean, you're already beautiful in it and yourself. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, I think that, yeah, any, any experience that makes you feel less than, or it's like, it's not worth it. And, and by the way, like, that's not what builds loyalty. That's not what yeah. builds, you know, affinity, any of those things. So at the end of the day, like, it's really, and for us, it's like, you know, we, we may take you through sort of like a long or exhaustive, like option list. The effort behind that is really just to educate you because one of the other things that we identify in in the industry is kind of a lack of accurate information and people not necessarily having all the information they need to make informed decisions about their care. And so we really do want to educate you. So if you come in and we say, Hey, Catherine, we just want to tell you all the things that are possible here. Mm -hmm. Kind of like, here's our menu of options for you. It's not to call out anything that's wrong with you. It's just to say, hey, did you know that if you do Botox in your neckline, like there's things that a lot of people don't know. I mean, you can actually get a bit of like a lift here if you were to relax these muscles. So there's all kinds of like, did you know and educational stuff, but none of it is rooted in like, this is a problem that you have and you need to fix this problem, right? It's just, hey, did you know? Yeah. But I think that angle that Alchemy 43 is coming from is very different than the angle that the others are coming from. I mean- Y'all are making a deliberate effort to come from that angle and the others to me are a little harsher, you know, and it, it can yeah. be, it can definitely be tough. What are some of the benefits of Botox? And is there, I mean, obviously I know with, you know, it can help with fine lines and things like that, but just kind of diving deeper into that. And is there a such thing as being too young for Botox? Great question. I mean, certainly there is. We don't treat people under 18 and really it's because a number one, you know, you sort of haven't finished forming, and number two, there is, uh, you know, it's just it's one of those things that there hasn't been a lot of clinical data and clinical study on, and we obviously yeah. want to always err on the side of of being extremely safe and extremely sort of by the book in terms of how we do things. So certainly, you know, I would say under eighteen is probably too young. I would say beyond that, it's really a personal decision. I'll tell you my personal story. I started doing Botox when I was twenty seven. And I did it preventatively. I didn't have any sort of fine lines and wrinkles yet. I'm now 44. And I think I'm doing, (laughs) thank you. I'm still doing pretty well. And I really do. And why I tell you that is to say, I really do believe in the preventative benefits of Botox. And if you think about it, it makes absolute logical sense. The, The fine lines and wrinkles that we get in our upper face and in our forehead are a result of over years and over time doing tons of um, contracting of those muscles. So squinting it in the sun, you know, looking really surprised, looking really happy, looking really sad. All of those things are kind of repetitive muscle contraction. And if you think about it over the years, you know, you're born with a certain amount of hyaluronic acid and collagen in your skin. You're born with your lifetime supply and over the years it depletes. So basically what's happening is, is repeated contraction of those muscles is causing those wrinkles to happen. If you don't use those muscles, you're not going to have the wrinkles. And so since I was 27, I haven't used those muscles. So I'm not having the wrinkles and fine lines that I would experience if I had been doing this for you. And you can tell I'm almost due that kind of movement. But that's something that, you know, for me would be, and I know genetically and hereditarily, like 
the older people and then other generations in my family all have those lines. So I certainly would have them otherwise. Yeah. And so essentially, it's just like you're teaching the muscles from a young age not to contract, which is what causes the wrinkles. And so you do enjoy the benefit later in life of not having that, you know, those fine lines and wrinkles. And then the other thing that people anecdotally know, but it's not talked about that often is you do get a smoothing effect an overall smoothing effect as well. So outside of the sort of prevention or the resolution of fine lines and wrinkles, there's also just an overall kind of smooth effect that you get on the skin. It's almost like a soft blur and it just makes your skin look really beautiful. And so I think people are starting to do it preventatively in their, in their early to mid twenties now. And I think everyone who does it can speak to those sort of like immediate benefits you get as well as the long-term prevention. So I think overall it's, you know, it's definitely something, you know, and obviously you want to find a place and find a provider and find a brand that you feel really comfortable. That's going to kind of responsibly guide you through your journey, because certainly, you know, you want to make sure you're doing it the right way and getting those natural results. But I certainly think that with that in mind, like you could start in your you know early to mid twenties with a preventative routine. Yeah. So this may be like a little myth buster, but I've also heard, you know, if you start Botox too young, obviously it can prevent wrinkles down the road, but I've also heard that it can kind of cause a person to develop a resistance to the treatment. Is that true or is that something it's more case by case? Or It's a good question. It's, it's sort of truth paired from, or sorry, a myth, but comes from a truthful place, which is, so 0.001% of the population has antibodies, which essentially means that you, it's almost like an immune, it's like a resistance to Botox. So your, your system doesn't recognize it and it doesn't do. And again, it's a very, very small percentage of the population that has it. And those people usually know who they are. I have a friend who actually has that. And so she's tried Botox and every competitor product. And because they are all botulinum toxin type A, it doesn't work for her. It just, for whatever reason, she has the antibodies. We do know that over time, if you were to get Botox more frequently than every three months on a regular basis, there is a risk of developing, to your point, a tolerance or a a sort of immunity to it. And so that's why in order to stay clear of that, we always tell people outside of the two-week window for a touch-up after you get your Botox the first time, which the two weeks is fine, you really want to not get it any more frequently than every three months. I always say to people, hey, that should be your regular rule. Now, if you have an event coming up or something special and one time you want to do it after two, it's probably chances are it's not going to create that tolerance for you. But if you on a regular basis were to always get it every six weeks, you might run into that. So we, you know, again, you want to go to a place that's going to educate you about that and is going to take good care of you. And they're going to say, hey, Catherine, you were just here six weeks ago. We recommend you wait another six weeks because you do want, you know, someone who's going to responsibly take care of you. Because yeah, that would, because if you do, develop antibodies, it's usually permanent. And so it means that you'll never, and so that's a bummer. So you definitely want to avoid that. You want to, you want to wait that timeline. Yes. Yes. Um, You want to make sure. I think that everyone's really sensitive to aging. We kind of touched on this and I was just curious your thoughts on aging and do you think it's a bad thing to age? Yeah. I mean, so the answer to that is absolutely not. I think that aging is actually a gift. I lost my mom really early and my mom passed away when I was 24 and she was 49. And I think if she were here today, she would say how lucky yeah. It is to be able to age and to live, you know, to live your life and to and to have all those experiences and all that joy that comes with living a long life. So I think aging is a gift and I don't think there's anything wrong with aging. I also don't think there's anything wrong with your face and your skin aging. I think that, you know, age is beautiful. And so people always ask that question and there's sort of aging gracefully, right? And I always think that means something different for everyone, right? Yeah. And to yeah. me, it means... It means whatever feels good for you. I think aging gracefully is a very personal thing. And 
if for you, you're somebody who loves to wear your hair long, or you love to have a smooth forehead, or you love to wear a certain color lipstick, and that kind of goes with you, that's your signature throughout your life. Like, I love that. And I think so I think that there is, you know, and with specific regard to like what we do and and aesthetics with aging, I hate the word anti aging, it literally makes my skin crawl, because it's like, (laughs) that's not possible. You're you're chasing a dream that's never gonna happen. Every day you exist on this earth, you're aging. And so it's silly to sort of the notion of like anti-aging. But what I can say is there's a way to do it the right way. And mm-hmm. and I think with the right care and the right medical provider and the right sort of approach to it, there's a way to sort of amend. Like I can tell you, even like the way that we, you know, inject filler, the way I get filler into my face, like I do it differently now than I did 20 years ago because I have a different look about me. Like I don't want to look 25. I want to look like my age, but like great for my age. So So I think there's just thought around, you know, and really finding a responsible provider that can kind of evolve with you because yeah, you're not, you know, what worked for you 10 years ago is probably not the same thing anymore. And it's a very personal choice. So I would say I'm all for aging and whatever makes you feel good along the way. Going along with that, how many locations does Alchemy 43 have currently? I mean, you guys are growing at such a rapid pace right now. It is so much fun to keep up with. (laughs) We sure are. It's really exciting and really fun. (laughs) So at the beginning of 2022, we had four locations. We had three here in Los Angeles and one in New York City. We will end 2022 with seven locations. We've opened Dallas, uh, right in your neck of the woods. Yeah. Opened uh, Upper East Side in Manhattan. And we have opened Houston in the River Oaks area, Uptown Plaza. Um, So very excited. And then we we have three more locations underway as we speak. One is in Newport Beach, California. The other is in Plano in a suburb of Dallas. And then we've got a, a second location in Houston opening in an area called Lantern Lane. And all of those will be opening in early 2023. So we that were- we'll, so exciting. Yeah. So we're on the growth trajectory. We're ho- hopefully coming to a neighborhood near you soon. <laughs> yeah. And so what's your definition of success? I mean, to me listening to you, I'm like, this woman is incredible. You, you've <laughs> peaked at success for me. So Aww. I know that's different for everybody though. Like, what is your version of success? It's a great question. I mean, I think to your point, it's different for everybody. I think we all have different goals and, and dreams. I mean, I think for me, I really believe in what we're building here at Alchemy 43 and, and really most so that the impact that it's going to have on consumers and and the idea of, of sort of a pro-aging ritual and treatment and something that you can do for yourself. I'm just such a big believer in self-care and you know, controlling the controllables and doing those things that make you look and feel your best. And I truly believe we're bringing a really unique and really hyper positive and hyper happy, exciting, confidence building experience to the world. And so for me, it's like, I want to bring that to as many people as possible. Yeah. So what does that look like? I think it looks like Alchemy 43 in every neighborhood where beauty services are consumed. Um, similar to our Dallas location, which I know you've seen, you know, I see us in, in, the, in neighborhoods where there's, you know, boutique fitness, your favorite coffee shop, your high-end nail salon, your favorite bakery, your kid's gym. And so really in places where we're going on a regular basis to consume beauty, I see us being a national you know, leader in terms of these services and really being sort of that, that trusted and safe place that's you know, sort of when you think Botox, you think Alchemy 43. And so we have really big goals and we're all signs point to things are moving in the right direction. There's a lot of excitement about this industry right now and and a ton of new people trying these treatments out, which we're super happy about and supportive of. And we just want to, you know, be a key part of people's journey. So I think for me, success looks like continuing to build and grow this business to really making Alchemy 43 kind of a household name that's synonymous with trust and Botox. 
and, you know, learning all the lessons along the way and building a great team as well. Yeah. Well, so. like, like you said, I actually visited the Dallas location and the interior design to me is like so refreshing and cool. And I would be so sad if we didn't touch on that before the end of this episode, you have Thank got to you. tell me about how you kind of decided to go and like with the theme that is in the Dallas location and the vibe, is that how every location is? Or are they all different? Yeah, great question. So that is actually a brand new design for us. And we're super excited. We worked, you know, for over a year with an amazing group called RPG out of New York on the sort of experiential redesign of the store. So the initial four look and feel a little bit differently. And so this is sort of this version or this, you know, this iteration of of our brand and, and the way that the Dallas store looks is definitely our brand design going forward. And eventually we'll we'll update the existing locations to look yeah. the same. But it, it was really a result of the learnings we've had over the last four or five years with this brand and this company. We thought a lot about who is our customer and what can we do to make them feel super happy, comfortable, um, included when they come here. You know, we really see ourselves as a brand that is gender neutral. Like you can yeah. sort of any age, any gender, any, you know, sexuality, like we really want to be wholly inclusive. And so you'll see color palettes and design that really hopefully reflects that. Yeah. And we, we wanted it to be sort of something that felt very aspirational, that felt felt good inside. I mean, we, we've paid very special attention to every single element for thinking through how you, you know, where you are when you sign in, what you see and experience during that time, when you're sitting in the chair getting ready to be treated, what you're experiencing during that moment, you know, even down to signature scent. So we actually have we're finalizing right now a signature scent for all of our locations that That's when you incredible. go in, you know, you, yeah. so it's all part of that feeling that you have that sort that of experience. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for saying that though. We we're really proud of how it turned out. Yeah, I'm really of course. About it. And yeah. so uh, I do think Alchemy 43 is obviously very much an experience. If you had to go and recommend one treatment that Alchemy 43 offers, what would it be and why? Uh, I mean, I, I truly like love and utilize every single service that we offer. And yeah. I think one of the things you'll note if you, you know, see, seen already is like we keep our menu of offerings like pretty curated and pretty specific in that the really the idea behind that is that, you know, there's a lot of med spas out there that offer a hundred different services, right? For us, we really wanted to kind of dial it back to like, what are the things that we truly think? And, and I sort of think about facial wellness in five ways. Mm-hmm. I think, well, one thing I'll say is number one, I, I think medically effective, minimally invasive and repetitive in or ritualistic in nature. So, you, you know, it's sort of part of a, an ongoing beauty regimen. Yeah. So I think that's kind of how I think about our offering of services is that there's tons of other great services out there. What are the things that if you were to just do these handful of things on a regular basis, you're always going to look great. And that's what these are. So my favorite, I mean, my, my thing that I recommend for everybody is Radically Radiant. That's our microneedling service. And I think like a lot of people have heard of microneedling. I think one of the things that's so amazing about microneedling as a service is that it actually is, it's completely non, it's stimulating your body to do something that it already does on its own. So the way I always talk about it is like, if you fall, let's say you fall and skin your knee, basically what happens in your body is all of the collagen and healing cells in your body are signaled like, oh, there's been trauma in this area. And then they all go and they heal that area. And as you, I'm sure, you know, we've all skinned our knee before, right? It kind of bleeds initially, then it kind of scabs up and then it turns Mm -hmm. and then it sort of turns over. And so what you're doing with microneedling is essentially you're simulating that exact experience. You're creating mini trauma to the face and that's signaling all of your collagen and all your hyaluronic acid. So it's kind of stimulating a very natural response in your body. It makes your skin look incredible. Like it literally gives you a glow from like within that you, I can't even put into words. Like I think that it's the best treatment. It's for all skin types. There's no one who's not a candidate for it. 
unless you're, I think you're in the, if you're in the middle of like an active acne breakout, you probably want to wait till you're, yeah. you're that's, that's kind of on the other side. But otherwise it's, it's really for everybody. And I think if you did nothing else, let's just say you did that every couple months for your whole life, you would look great your whole life. You've talked me into it. You don't have to yes. go any further on that one. I immediately want to um, book an appointment there. Yes. Yes. It's the <laughs> um, best. I know that you have a beautiful baby girl and yes. a, a lot of parents that are, you know, opening up new companies or even just working day to day life. Like, how do you balance it all, especially <laughs> with you, you, you know, building this massive business? Yeah, thank you. So, I mean, it's been a really, you know, intentional process on my side. So I always knew I wanted to be a mother and I started the company. I was 36 when I started the company. Right before I did that, I actually froze my eggs, which was a very, again, a very thoughtful decision of like, hey, I know I'm about to embark on a journey here with this business. And I know that as a woman, biologically, we have sort of a finite amount of time that we can do this, this parenthood thing and actually carry a child ourselves, et cetera. And so my decision to freeze my eggs was one that I would recommend to anyone and everyone. Like, if you're somebody out there who knows that you want to be a mom and just yeah. like doesn't know exactly when or has career goals that you want to sort of explore, just go out and freeze your eggs. Like, I feel like so many companies now, I did it through a company called Kind Body. There's companies now that offer this and make it really affordable. You can finance it, you can pay it off over time. There's all kinds of now sort of resources for that. Yeah. And I would just recommend that you do it because it's, it's sort of like, I would say it's the reason that I was able to build this business the way that I was, because it really did take all of my focus the first few years. And if I had been in my head going, oh gosh, I got to find a man, I got to have a baby, like it would have distracted me in a really kind of a way that I think probably would have taken me off track. So freezing my eggs for me was an incredibly like liberating decision. And I'm so glad I did it because then a few years passed and COVID happened and I hadn't been dating and I hadn't been doing all the things to meet a partner. And I decided, you know what? I'm ready to be a mom. Like I wanted to, I really want this to happen. So for me, it was a very intentional thing. And I can tell you, it's been absolutely life-changing. My daughter is now 15 months old and she's the best thing I've ever done in my whole life. She's so amazing. And you just, I think it's actually made me a better CEO. I think it's made me more balanced. I don't sweat the small stuff as much. I'm not as hung up on little things that really I shouldn't be hung up on. So I think it's kept me, it's sort of given me a, a new perspective that, I recommend to anyone who, you know, is sort of going through life and thinking that in the back of their mind, this is something they may want. It's hard. Like it does come to your point with some sacrifice. Like every time I travel, I have to leave my baby at home with somebody. You know, luckily I have a good support network around me, but I wouldn't trade it. It has been like life-changing, game-changing thing. And to me, it's like, there's no reason why women can't have both. And, you know, it may take a little more work to sort of pull things together. But I promise you, like all women can do it. And we're incredible multitaskers and incredible balance. You know, we just, we have, we have all the tools. And so it feels like the best thing ever. Well, she is so incredibly beautiful. I've seen just photos of her, but you seem like such a good mom and you're glowing. And um, just, just to close Nikki, what advice can you give entrepreneurs, you know, trying to break into those creative industries, fashion, beauty, social media, what advice can you give them? So I would say, I mean, there's so many things. I would say, if you can, find a mentor, find somebody who, we talked about this a little bit earlier, kind of like find somebody who's doing what you want to be doing. But even if it's somebody who's like slightly off the beaten path, maybe you want to do something in fashion and you know somebody in beauty or something yeah. like that, find somebody who's like on a trajectory that you would like to see yourself on. And really, you know, I think pursue some sort of relationship with that person, really try to learn from them. I mean, I feel like I kind of found my way in the dark and I've had wonderful people along the way to light the way for me. But 
I feel a strong sense. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs and founders will feel this of like wanting to pay it forward. It's like, you know, you found your way in the dark. And like, if you can take your experiences and light the way for other people that are coming up behind you, like, why wouldn't you do that? And like, there's just so many things that I went through that I'm like, there's no need for somebody else to have to go through that. Like I went through that. Like I would rather tell them so they know, you know? And so I think it's just, you know, aligning yourself with the right people, putting yourself in those circles. Like, so it might be a Wednesday night and you're, you want to stay home and watch TV, but you get invited out to like an entrepreneur or, or a women's networking event or something. Go, because I promise you, like you'll meet somebody interesting. You'll have an interesting conversation. You know, you'll be better for it. And so I would just say, push yourself to get out there. I think try to be in the places that you want to be at the conferences that you want to be a speaker at one day, you know, be in the audience. Like, I think just don't be afraid to kind of pursue mentorship, pursue advice, pursue industry, like just get out there. And also, by the way, don't wait till it's perfect because it never will be like get to a place of like clarity with your vision and then start like the rest of itself will figure itself out. Like it it really will. And by the way, if you're on the wrong path, you'll also figure that out quickly. So just, I think just get going, get started, like go for it. Well, I am so grateful to get to know you and the person behind such an incredible company. I cannot thank you enough for coming on Vitamin F podcast to share your story, Nikki. And I just, I can't thank you enough. Of course. Thank you for having me, Catherine. It was fun. 